we're going to talk about something very interesting, and it's going to shed a little bit of light on an area of life that you might never have thought you would be studying about concerning Judaism. But you know, Judaism deals with everything in life, from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, and even in between. Tonight we're going to talk about that in-between time. What happens to you, to your soul, to your thoughts, during the time between when you go to sleep and when you wake up? Well, that's of course the world of dreams. And sure, I know you're probably thinking, well, what's this rabbi talking about dreams for? What do dreams have to do with Judaism? Well, we're going to answer that question for you tonight. And we have with us a very interesting rabbi, somebody who I've had the pleasure of meeting now, before the show, spoken to for a number of months, but heard about for many, many years, has been very active in the Jewish community throughout New York City, who's in the process now of writing a book, in fact, about Judaism and dreams. It's a pleasure to have with us tonight Rabbi Mayer Fun. Good to be here. Good to have you. I hope you enjoyed the trip out from Brooklyn. It was a pleasure. <laughs> the L.I.E. in rush hour. <laughs> okay, a little fresh air, though. All the way. All right, great. Well, first of all, you've been active in the metropolitan area, I know, for many, many years. And I've heard your name for many years about your accomplishments and your work in the college campuses and your work with, with classes and teaching Judaism really for maybe 30, 40 years already. I'm sure you have uh, some tremendous nachas and a feeling of accomplishment as far as being able to be an active part of the growth of the Jewish community in New York during the course of the year, those years. Any thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience about that? Well, I certainly appreciate the recognition that you're giving me, but the recognition is certainly due to yourself also for all the unbelievable work that you are, Baruch Hashem, doing in lighting Jewish fires all over Long Island. And it's a privilege for me to meet you and to begin to understand why you're so successful. <laughs> well, thank you very much. The uh, rewards of turning Jews on are multi, multi are, 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 are many. But above all, what I stand to gain is that I am inspired by the people I inspire. I can understand that. If, God forbid, I might become jaded, God has compassion on my soul and he puts under my nose a Jew that gets excited and that excites me. It keeps me going. Interesting. And that's my biggest nachas. Very true. It's, in fact, our sages say, of course, that when you teach somebody else, you really learn more from them than perhaps they even learn from you. There's a rebound. Exactly, exactly. So you've had many more years of that rebound than I have. So I'm looking forward to hearing some of your wisdom tonight and some of what you've been able to call from the sayings of our sages because this is an area, Rabbi Fund, I must admit, I am really not familiar too much at all with what Judaism says about dreams. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Now, let's get started off. Of course, the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to dreams is the Torah itself, right in the very beginning, in Genesis, tells us about two amazing stories about the dreams, of course, of Paro, of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and also, of course, the dreams that uh, that we have with Joseph and all of the other dreams that we that the Torah talks about. Tell us a little bit about those dreams, if you could familiarize our audience with them, if they're not already familiar, and how that becomes such a key part of the Torah itself and the story of our people. Well, it's kind of interesting that you begin with that dream. I guess it's a obvious point of departure, but... Oh, but there are dreams before that, you're we right. find a major dream uh, before, please. namely the famous dream of Jacob. Of Jacob, and Jacob's ladder. ladder, exactly. And according to the Midrash, when God created Eve out of the rib of Adam, yes, he was in a dream state, and he saw Eve for the first time in his dream. Really? I never heard that. That's right. 
And what is the explanation? Is there some reason why that was an important part of the process? Well, I would hazard the guess that Adam is paving the way for his offspring. You see, we meet people all the time, but how do you know when you meet your soulmate? Okay. It takes more to meet your soulmate than to figure out that her income level is suitable, let's say, and she and you like the same color toothpaste. There's got to be something deeper. <laughs> right. And it's the dream world that we make a connection to our deepest, innermost self. That insight has precedence way before Sigmund Freud came along and coined the term the unconscious. Okay, so our sages teach us then, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, that dreams were a way of being able to uncover your unconscious. But you're bringing up a little bit of a different point, I think. You're saying that dreams can give a person almost a prophetic image of somebody or something that we're destined to connect to before we even make the connection in the real world. The Talmud says that dreams constitute one-sixtieth of prophecy. Okay. The ratio itself probably would require an explanation. We know that in Jewish law, the ratio of one to sixty represents the threshold of taste. If it's Can you explain more that? than one to sixty, the taste of the minor component is so negligible that it doesn't register. If it's less than one in 60. That's correct. But if it reaches to the one vis-a-vis the 60, then it registered. Okay. So what our rabbis are in effect telling us is that although on the surface the dream text is uh, just a kind of excursion of the fantasy, but there lingers or there lurks in the dream state a kind of window to a higher level of knowledge. Or as the Kabbalists explain, that when a person sleeps at night, part of his soul goes up to heaven. Right. You know, not too long ago, a lady called Yaffa Eliach, who is a professor at Brooklyn College, published a book of Holocaust stories that her students Yes, I read them. Amazing stories. And there's a significant percent that revolve around people whose lives were redirected and saved during the Holocaust on account of a dream. Really? That's right. So that God, in other words, so to say, visited this person, put the thoughts in their mind during their state of sleep in order to be able to help them establish a direction for themselves during the course of their future. A short time ago, a few weeks ago, a very, very great rabbi died. He was a survivor. He was the chief rabbi of Philadelphia. He was, during the war, at some point, he, of course, related this story. It was published in the newspapers. And it's obvious that this man is, is, is extremely reliable if that's what he is relating. At some point in the war, he and a group of Jews were hiding in the forest. He had a dream that night. And in his dream, his father came to him and criticized him for not being sufficiently knowledgeable in his Talmud study. Now, you have to understand that that seemed kind of far out. Because he was a great Talmudic sage. Well, he was a young man at the time. Uh-huh. Before the war, he had been <coughs> studying day and night. But he was in the middle of World War II, hiding with Jews whose lives were hanging on a thread in the middle of the forest there, where the Germans were looking for them. Right. And that's the dream he got. Now, most people would probably have subscribed that dream to uh, just a uh, ridiculous, let's say, flashback to the old days. He asked himself, why would my father be telling me this dream? Why would my father be coming to me in that way? 
And his conclusion was, his father is basically telling me, his son, that I still have work to do, and it's not yet time for me to die. That day was his turn where he was supposed to somehow slip into a nearby town and pick up food for those Jews. Mm -hmm. And because of that dream, he decided he's being warned not to. Someone else went, and that person was killed, and he was spared. So we see there are a few factors here. One is the belief that there is more to the dream than what the therapist might uncover when well, you lie on the couch. Okay, I, I have but two, you have to also know how to decipher the dream. Right, now you're saying a lot of things here and I have a lot of questions as a result right, of your so statements. We're in business. <laughs> okay, first of all, okay, let me take it one step at a time. Uh, what would be the difference, let's say, between the Torah approach to dreams as opposed to, as you yourself mentioned, the way a psychiatrist or a Freudian would approach dreams? Can you give us an idea of that? Well, I should perhaps add that the world of psychology is not monolithic. So what I'm going to propose is the best applicable in general. There okay, might fine. Be Fair enough. Out there now, of course. Who would say, but, 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 there is this school of psychology that agrees. But in general, the general uh, take is, of course, that dreams express the occurrences that are taking place in the unconscious. Right. And we find an echo of that in the Talmud and the Gemara as well. The Gemara says that the dreams we dream are the result of which translates to mean that which we think of or see during the day. So that would be your unconscious at night? That might, if you want to use the word unconscious. Or subconscious. We all know, right, we all know that things that we experience somehow get Recycle. Oh, it happens all the time with me. I know. Right. I very commonly have dreams at night of things so that happen during the right. day. That's one level. However, as I alluded before to that statement, and the entire basis of the Talmudic enterprise of dream interpretation is based on that premise, you see, perhaps a, a phrase might help us to get to the point. Most people think that when you go to sleep, you go to sleep. But Torah teaches that when you go to sleep, that's when you wake up. There's a part of you that's sleeping while you're awake. Okay. Your higher self is, by day, essentially in a subterranean state. Because your conscious mind is creating the images that fill your head. But when you sleep, and that part of your brain is sidelined, so that allows for your inner soul to be able to uh, convey its messages. Interesting. So your soul, in other words, is working 24 hours a day. Your body is somewhat of a distraction during the course of your waking hours, but it is able to recede to the point that your soul can shine forth during sleep. That's right. Okay. That's right. Interesting. And uh, therefore... But this in no way contradicts the, the fact, of course, that the main place God wants us to be is to be in the state of, of awakeness. In other words, they, this is where we perform the mitzvahs, this is where we're able to do God's will. We, we shouldn't be sleeping 24 hours a day. No, no excuses well out there. <laughs> There's actually a very wonderful story about the Vilna Gaon. It's one of the great, great stories. The Vilna Gaon, who was one of the greatest rabbis the Jewish people had in the last 500 years, he was studying a certain passage. It's not clear. I don't know if it was Talmud or probably in the area of Jewish mysticism. And his habit was, if he did not understand, he would just stick with it, even for a few days. Wouldn't leave his room until it became clear. This was particularly cumbersome and challenging. Finally, he fell into a state of sleep, and an angelic kind of teacher came to him 
in Orfrit to convey the meaning of what bothered him to him so he would be able to understand it. Yes. He turned it down. In his sleep. This is Tobarukhamalajna. He refused the offer. He said Interesting. You are depriving me of my great opportunity because the Torah that I study and I arrive at an understanding of through my effort, that's what God wants for me, and that's right. what I will be rewarded for. Right. But what you spoon feed me, that is taken away from me in effect. Exactly. I'm Interesting. Of the Interesting. There's another story of course about the Arizal, how he had a dream once about one of the I mean one of the portions of the uh, of the week concerning the prophet Bolak. Right. And he told his students that it would take him 60 to 70 60 years, years right. to explain the meaning of this dream. So, of course, we see that things can happen in those dreams, especially amongst the great tzaddikim, the great sages. There were great That would be very intense. Who dream journals. Really? For example, the great Hasidic Rebbe, Reb Tzaddik HaKayin, has a uh, sefer, a book that he published, which is a whole section of the dreams which he dreamt, which he considered meaningful. The Chidot was a great Svadic Kabbalist in the 1700s, Rabbi Yosef Khan David Azulai, similarly published a whole book of his dreams. Interesting. Okay, so let's go back to this question about the Jewish perspective of dreams and is, as you say, that our soul in a higher level gets to be able to come down to a place where otherwise would be very much distracted. And the secular perspective on dreams? Well, I would imagine the secular perspective on dreams is that dreams are produced and uh, shall we say, presented by the private self. There is no external source of input into one's dream world except the source of uh, inspiration that resides in oneself. Our Jewish understanding is that the soul, which is allowed to ascend to a higher level, is given from outside of itself information and insight. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. That's a, that's a major difference, of course. That's correct. All right. So that gives the opening, of course, for God to use the dream as a means of planting the seed in the person's mind as opposed to everything coming from within, which is, of course, very limiting in terms of what the source for that dream could be from a secular perspective. That's correct. Okay. Now, based on all this, would you or or how would you recommend that a person look at their dreams? We're not talking about the dreams of of great tzaddikim or great righteous individuals. Let's say simple people like, like myself who are just having a dream at night what do we do? We listen to a dream, we don't listen to a dream. How do we interpret our dreams? There are, very, there are great rabbis who have written responses on that. I'll give you a very concrete example. This was something that came away a number of years ago. I gave a talk on this very subject. And someone in my audience approached me afterwards with the following dilemma. She had a family friend, a couple who were friends with herself and her husband, and a couple of months prior to that point, her husband dreamt that he saw his friend basically at his funeral, that the man was going to die and be buried. He woke up the next morning, he told his wife, should I say anything or not? Right. And they, they decided <coughs> on their own not to say anything because they basically didn't take it seriously. We shouldn't know from such things a while after this man had some kind of medical situation. He went to a doctor and it was too late. Really? It was too late. So our great rabbis actually do establish criteria as to 
when, for example, one should look at a dream as a kind of early warning. Okay, please tell me. With regard to oneself or whether with regard to someone else. Because I was under the impression before that the sages say that unless you see a dream three times, that you shouldn't take it seriously. But from what you're saying, even once it could be taken seriously. I hesitate to uh, make a one, two, three list. I would say my suggestion would be if one has a dream that might qualify under the category we're looking at, that it should really be then taken to a competent rabbi who would be willing to assume responsibility. Well, there is also, of course, another category of dream where in our prayer book, we have what's called Tainis Cholam. We have a special section which is said, for a fast that a person takes upon themselves to fast the day after they have one of these types of dreams, let's say about a death or, or, or some terrible tragedy, so that in that case... I hear what you're saying, that if it's such an extreme type of situation, it's cause for a fast to hopefully come closer to God to make up for whatever might need to be made up for in order to try to correct the possibility that that dream might be fulfilled. Are you sure Rabbi Tell you didn't already write my book on dream interpretation? (laughs) You're just picking my brain, I'm just going into... Very good. (laughs) So uh, would that be the difference, let's say... The first line of defense is the famous statement of the Talmud, a dream not interpreted is like a letter not read. Interesting. Really? For example, some people, what do they do if they get a big phone bill? They don't open the bill up. And we know the <laughs> phone company, that doesn't work. Right. But with God, that may sometimes work. In a certain sense, if we don't take the dream seriously, then it goes away. Because, again, in most cases, the dream actually is nonsense. And in addition... It seems from the, both the Talmud and the Zohar on this subject that to a certain extent the dream is only activated when it's understood. Really? And in particular when it's... So, the, so uh, in that case ignorance is bliss. Yeah, that's right. And, and in particular when the, only when the understanding is verbalized. The when Zohar the, says when the understanding that it is, is verbalized. It is only when, in plain English, if there is a listener who hears the dream and interprets it. That's what sort of pushes the button to activate. The so dream. that brings the dream that down from the realm of from I see. The, from the, shall we say, from the ideal world to the real. To the real world. world. I gotcha. So in, in that the case, world, for example, says that it could take up until twenty-two years for a dream to come true, based on the fact that Joseph's dreams took twenty-two years to hatch. Right. The Masha, who's a great commentator on the Talmud, says that those twenty-two correspond to the twenty-two letters of the Aleph base. Because our understanding is for a heavenly light to come down, it has to pass through those 22 steps, paralleling the 22 letters of the alphabet. Of the Hebrew alphabet. Yes. Interesting. That's fascinating. Okay. So in that case, if you have a bad dream, it's better not to mention it to anybody? First order of business, if the dream doesn't really bother you, you don't bother it. Don't scratch it, and it won't itch. Forget about it. Don't ask, don't tell. I'm saying this to all the people who might be listening who are insomniacs, <laughs> obsessives, okay. and who isn't at this point in time. <laughs> well, after listening to you for too long, I might become one. I don't know. <laughs> My wife is a clinical psychologist. Maybe I'll drum up some business. <laughs> all right. So if, though, a person does have a dream that kind of begs for interpretation, which a person really, for some reason, feels in their heart, you know, this dream is more than just a bubble as they say. There's something to it. Why I had this dream now and with this person in this situation. What should they do? Where do they go to? How do they take the next step? Well, 
Especially if they had the dream more than once. We Jews are not equipped in a major way to compete with Jungian analysts in the, in the village. We don't have rabbis who have office hours where they interpret their dreams. <laughs> yes, I can imagine that, yes. However, it's in our tradition. Do you and have a dream hotline where they can call you? 800 funds. <laughs> In all honesty, anyone out there, any listener out there who feels that they would benefit, I'm certainly privileged to be able to offer my, my ear to that person. And all right. That would be more than acceptable. Okay, so that, that's, a, that's an offer. I hope you'll take yourself over. You can call our, our office at, and our number at the end of the show, and Robert Fun will be happy to get in touch with you, or you can get in, get in touch with him, and we'll that's find right. out the interpretation that's of a dream. Right. With okay. pleasure, with pleasure. All right, good. Now... Let's go back to the Torah, which is a source, of course, for our interpretations of dreams. Of course, the, the 22 years of the dream with Joseph was an absolutely fascinating dream, which we see brings us through an incredible chain of events to be able to fulfill that dream. That becomes almost the foundation of a tremendous amount of the whole direction of the Jewish people, and it has an influence which lasts literally to this date as far as how it changed the direction of our Jewish people. So dreams, obviously, can have a major influence on an individual and in the direction they take. We shouldn't just discard them out of hand. It would be foolish. Both the dream and, I might add, in my opinion, there are three major areas where dreams impinge upon us that I think we pay too little attention to. Okay. One is, of course, in terms of dreams as pointers to the future. That's one. Second is dreams that serve as uh, spiritual teachers for us. We, you and I, are not going to have dreams like the Vilna Gaon might have had or the Arizal, but still, dreams may access some kind of Torah insight, that a heavenly teaching which our soul is trying to bring down to us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Finally, I also very sincerely believe in many cases. Dreams are a door by which those who are no longer living are allowed to communicate with the living. Obviously, sometimes, if one dreams of a loved one who is no longer around, it's nothing more than an expression of the yearning for that person that's no longer around. And that's beautiful, too. But on occasion, we have the understanding that a soul is sort of given a short-term passport to come back and visit a living one through the medium of the dream. And I think that's important to say because I've spoken with a lot of people about that. And there's a misconception, I think, that the soul takes upon itself for whatever reason to visit. And a person, let's say, wants and wants very much that a, a soul should come back and give them a message in a dream. But it's not really up to the soul. It's only God who gives permission to the soul for whatever specific reason to establish a connection to com communicate a particular thing that needs to be communicated, that the soul is given that passport to go back and and uh, pass on that message. Souls have to go through the heavenly travel office. Right. <laughs> okay. How's the, the commission up there? Hope, hope it's good. <laughs> All right. And hope they do better than power here. <laughs> exactly. But this is very interesting because I've uh, seen many of those situations also where you, know, you see dreams that really have some type of deeper meaning that it's impossible to figure out unless, of course, there's some, something going on there. Have you ever had any dreams yourself that you find very meaningful in terms of their interpretation? Well, actually, in particular, I was influenced as a little boy by my mother 
who shared with us dreams that she had had, especially at the time of the Holocaust. Really? My mother came from Vienna, and uh, there were a number of dreams where her mother, who had died shortly before World War II broke out, came back and guided family members to safety in dramatic ways. Unbelievable. And then after the war, my mother was living in England, and she was pregnant, and she was in the ninth month of pregnancy, and she was sleeping in her bed and had a dream in which she saw herself back in her mother's bedroom in Vienna. And there was a knock on the door, and my mother's mother had a friend who was a very special Robinson who lived at the time in Vienna. And the two women are talking to each other, and they say, it's time, and they begin rolling up their sleeves like midwives. And my mother wakes up, and she's in labor. And it was clear to my mother, it's clear to me, that my grandmother and her friend came down from heaven to be at my mother's side as she was giving birth to me in a strange country at the end of World War II. Unbelievable. So this is what really stimulated you to get personally involved and interested in trying to find dreams. I don't dream too much. I'm too tired enough to dream. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. We also say about the time of exile, before the time of Mashiach, that this in a certain way is a time of dreams. Why? Because dreams are of a nature where you can put together complete opposites. And here we have a world created by God where we have two complete opposites, good and evil, which are mixed up to the point where we can sometimes barely tell the difference between the two. But of course, after Mashiach comes, there will be a time there will be a, a partition made between that which is good and right and that which is wrong and evil. And it will be much clearer exactly what God wants out of this world. It won't be a dream in the sense of being a very big blur of, of all of reality. Be very specific. So we say uh, that this is a time of dreams as well. So this is a very, very interesting material. And I wish you a tremendous success with your book. I hope that you have uh, a lot of success finishing it up and find a great publisher. And once it's finished, please let me know and we'll be happy to read it. Thank you, and I wish you sweet dreams. <laughs> Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. In fact, if I have any interesting dreams tonight, I'll have to call you and let you know. Call me, collect. <laughs> now that I know a place to get them interpreted, I'll be calling you more often. All right. Very fun. It's been a pleasure, and I hope you found it very interesting also. Because, again, this is an area of life that you would never connect to Judaism necessarily. But just in my conversations with Very Fun, seeing how many sources there are in the Bible, how many situations maybe in your own life where you had a question, maybe there is something to this. And sometimes, you know what we have to do? We have to just let ourselves go a little bit. We have to stop being so rational and so cold in terms of analyzing things and be able to be open to the possibility that there is that inner meaning, that we are connecting to something higher, and that dreams or sleep do give us that sense of the soul and that sense of something special that perhaps at other times we're not really connecting to. So this is an opportunity, I think, for everybody to maybe to take a look at their own dreams and resolve that the next time you have an interesting dream, you're going to stop and you're going to take a look at it and see what's going on. So in the meantime, I want to welcome everybody to next week. We're going to continue our conversation with Rabbi Fund on other topics of great interest, and I hope you'll come back and join us. In the meantime, go out there and do a mitzvah. Do something good, something special, some type of good deed that's going to make your life and your family, your environment, and everything else around you much, much better. Because, of course, dreams are nice at night. But the bottom line is we have to be good during the day. The bottom line is we have to go out there and make the world a better place and to be able to bring righteousness and kindness and charity and all types of good things to our fellow human being. And that's really what it's all about. So on behalf of Chabad Lubavitch and the many Chabad centers from around Long Island, and of course on behalf of Rabbi Fun, I want to thank all of you for being with us. And... 
Dream well. As Rabbi Fun said, sweet dreams to everybody. Shalom from the Jewish Spotlight.